Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Point. If you're here for the first time, thanks for coming today. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm the lead pastor. Our site pastor and I, his name is Rob Perry. We'd love to meet you down front after the service. So before you leave today, just come down and say hello. We'd like to give you one of our welcome packets and just say thanks for coming and checking out LifePoint today. Well, if you've ever uh, traveled, traveled internationally, uh, you know, I mean, maybe you are traveling internationally. It's what brought you here today. Maybe you've gone abroad. And one of the things that I discovered uh, that, especially when I went to Central and South America, is how much I love home. Uh, I can remember the first time I went because the bacteria in the water is different than the bacteria here. Uh, so you're not supposed to drink it. And so I could not wait to get home and just, I would tell, I told the guys with me, when I get home, I'm going to go in the kitchen. I'm going to turn the water on and just put my head down and suck water right out of the faucet, right, right straight from the sink. And if you've been away from home, you know how good it feels to finally get back home, to finally be where you feel like, okay, now this is home. Because when you're away, sometimes it can get really, really uncomfortable. We're in the next part of a series called This Story, and we've been tracking with God's people from the beginning of time, and we're going to go all the way through until the Bible closes out in the book of Revelation. And we're at a part of the story where God's people had really made big mistakes. We're in a part where they'd had some really bad kings, where they had done some very rebellious things, and they were taken into exile. They were taken out of their homeland that God had given them into a country that wasn't their own. And this really bad king, King Nebuchadnezzar, came into the city of Jerusalem and took the best of everything out. He pulled out the best and the brightest and all their treasures. And now God's people, some 580 years before the time of Christ, are forced to live in exile, to live in a place they never intended to be. You may have walked in here today feeling like you're living in exile. You may not have worded it that way, but feeling like this is not the way life's supposed to work. This is not the way things are supposed to be. I was planning to be here by now, or I can't believe he did this to me, or she said that to me. I can't believe that I found myself making this mistake over and over again, and you feel like you're in a foreign land. You feel like you're walking through life in one of those cycles where everything is just not clicking. Well, in today's story, we can learn a lot from these exiles, we can get a lot of insights from them and how they lived in a place they were never created to be in. All this starts in the book of Daniel chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles coming down the aisles. Ushers will give you one of those. It's yours to keep if you would like it, or you can borrow it and leave it in the back. You can also have a look at the screen. All the scriptures are up there as well. So this is from Daniel chapter 1. And this is what King Nebuchadnezzar did after he took everybody out of Jerusalem, all the great stuff, all the treasures, th this happened. Then the king ordered the chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to be brought into the king's service. 
Now, this, this, primarily, this story primarily focuses on four guys, a guy named Daniel and three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, if you have kids that are teenagers now that were, out when, that were young when VeggieTales was really popular, this is Rack, Shack, and Benny. So if, if you, if you may have known this story if you've ever watched VeggieTales because they do a great job at telling the story through these three guys, Rack, Shack, and Benny. And we're looking at this story about exile and what it's like to live in a place you were never created to live in through the lens of how these four guys and their faith held up in the face of great opposition, in the face of being where they never wanted to be, and having to make some decisions they never wanted to make. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's insight from exile number one. My faith in God should lead me to look different. So in the, in the scripture where we're looking at Daniel's story and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were some of the ones that were pulled out of the nation of Israel. They were taken from Jerusalem. They were put into the king's court because they were smart. They were bright. They probably were good-looking guys. They probably were built well. And so the king said, that's who I want working for me. And his job was to assign his people to make sure that they got all of Jerusalem out of these guys, that they pushed all of their culture out of them, and they, they turned them in to Babylonians. And one of the ways they did that, they said, we want you to eat from the king's table which meant more than just the food. It was also symbolic. If you ate at the king's table, it meant that you, were in a, you approved everything that the king did, that you were at his table. So people would see you walking and say, he eats at the king's table, which meant he's in the king's corner. He works for the king. He's going to stand up for the king. But there were also some rules, some laws that God had given about diet. And so when Daniel and his buddies found out they were supposed to eat all of these foods that God said were, that was unclean and they weren't supposed to eat. Here's what happened later in Daniel chapter 1. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And so the, the, the culture said, Eat all you want, whatever you want, it doesn't matter. But it turns out that God made these dietary restrictions, not just to restrict people so they couldn't enjoy a pork chop every now and then. He made these restrictions because it was healthier, because it was better, because it kept disease out. And so Daniel said, look, just let us eat fruits and vegetables. That was a big deal. It happened. The king allowed it to happen. And, and they said, we're going to look better in three weeks than you look in three weeks. You eat what you want. We're going to eat this stuff. And sure enough, in three weeks, they came back and Daniel and his buddies looked a lot better. And a lot of people follow a Daniel diet. You can get books about a Daniel diet. But Daniel wasn't trying to make a dietary point. He was trying to just obey his God. He was trying to just follow what God had asked him to do. It's not like God said, okay, Daniel, you can only shop at Whole Foods. It's the only place you can get your stuff. God had a reason. He had a purpose for saying that. And Daniel wanted to obey. And so he said, we're not going to do that. As followers of Christ, we have a choice all the time. Are we going to get with the culture and go with it? Or are we going to stand out and be different? Daniel and his buddies chose to stand out and to be different. 
And that's how we can learn from these guys who lived thousands of years ago because they were up against this great opposition and they had to make the decision, am I going to look like everybody else or am I going to be different? When Jesus came on the scene and started calling people to follow him, they quickly recognized he's calling us to be different. And later on in the New Testament, you can read one of Jesus' disciples named Peter wrote these words to a group of people who were followers of Christ. He said this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. What he's saying is, you need to live like a foreigner and an exile. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that, that we're just supposed to seclude ourselves off from the world? Well, that's not a good idea. What he means is, as you live in the culture you live in, live as a foreigner, live as an exile, because it's ultimately not what you were created to do. It's not where you were created to be. If you think about it, it would be a pretty cruel thing if life was between, I don't know, 78 and 100 years, and that was it. And there was nothing else. So the Bible paints this picture of the time that we're on earth, we need to realize this is not all there is. It's not when you, when you die, you're done, and it's never, you, know, you never have consciousness again. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there's more beyond this life. And so we have to make decisions, and the Bible assumes that people will make decisions about, am I going to seclude myself off from the culture and kind of wall everything out, or am I going to figure out how to live in the culture and live my faith in the middle of it? And Jesus prefers the latter. In fact, when Jesus taught, he told his followers that they needed to be two things. Need you to be salt and light. Now, what he meant by I need you to be salt, he's saying, I need you to bring flavor to that which is dull. I need you to spice things up. I need you to be interesting. And when he said be light, he meant shine your light. So if you get a bunch of light together, what do you have? More light. And you add more light, it's just more light. So if you're going to let a light shine, where do you have to take the light? Where it's dark. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to be salt where spice is needed, and I want you to be light in the darkness. He's not saying run away from all that stuff, stay away from it, wall things up and live in a commune. He's not saying that. Jesus is saying, I want you to be salt, and I want you to be light. And that's exactly what Daniel and his friends chose to be. Their faith in God led them to look different than the culture around them. Now, they probably had a really good lifestyle because they lived in the king's court. They probably had the best of everything. But if you think about our world, think about our culture and the speed with which it is changing. I mean, it's fast, and it's getting faster, and, and our, we're actually living in a culture that is increasingly becoming hostile to people of faith. So what do you do? Do you just build a wall and say, everybody else stay out? Well, how can you be salt and light if you do that? Or do you say, I want to meaningfully engage with a culture and show people what it means to be salt and light and spread the love and the grace of Christ to a world that desperately needs to hear it. We live in a time where it's easier to do that. I mean, mechanically, it's, it's much easier to spread the message of Christ than it's ever been. We have so many different avenues. 
In fact, just week before last, the whole social media wave of popularity began with this little thing called Facebook. You might have heard of it. A couple of weeks ago, it turned 10 years old. Take a look at this video about Facebook. Oh, do you know what today is? Today is the 10th anniversary of Facebook. Now, what do you get for the website that makes you hate everything? It's <laughs> Facebook, as you probably know, was started in a Harvard University dorm room by Jesse Eisenberg and Spider-Man 2. Actually, Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook on February 4th, 2004. At the time, he was a 19-year-old student in a hoodie. Now he's a 29-year-old billionaire in a hoodie. And, you know, just think, 10 years ago, you might have never known your mom's friend's husband had a successful colonoscopy, but now we have Facebook. Whatever you think about it, Facebook has significantly changed the world. Before Facebook, we had no way of uh, knowing who was feeling hashtag blessed, smiley face, hashtag loving it without actually calling them or speaking to them in person. More than anyone, Mark Zuckerberg revolutionized the way we avoid doing work in this country. And his, <laughs> Facebook has become a big part of our lives. And today, on this special day, I thought it would be fitting to take a look back at how Facebook has touched us over the past decade. Many psychologists and some social media experts are beginning to see what's called FAD, Facebook Addiction Disorder. Could Facebook be making you envious and miserable. The social network was implicated in a third of all divorce filings last year. Doctors are warning parents that Facebook can contribute to depression. A study found that Facebook negatively impacts the way people feel moment to moment and how satisfied they are with their lives. One in 10 people between ages 16 and 34 have not gotten jobs as a result of something they posted on social networks. Updating your status on any social networking site before you go out for the night or on vacation is as good as leaving a key behind for the burglars. It's really not private if you're on Facebook, you're posting it for everyone. Social media may be destroying your life. Now, that, that's, a, that's a negative look. That's a look at the negative side, and that exists. But there's also a really good side, a, a good side to all, I'm not just picking on Facebook, but social media in general. There's a good side in that I've gotten lots of encouragement from things I read, encouragement people post for me. I'm able to open up a little piece of my life so people that, that don't know me can kind of get to know me and my family a little bit better able to connect with old friends, you're able to connect with old friends, find encouragement. I mean, I have found out about opportunities to help people connect with God because I read it through social media. But there's also a side that's not good, the side we just heard about in all those news reports. So how does a person, because this is such a popular thing that everybody's got to deal with, so how does a person be salt and light when we're dealing with our culture? Well, if you just look simply at social media or Facebook, what I've done is decided, okay, I want to be salt and light, so I'm going to have some rules. Now, your rules might be different, but you need to have some guidelines that kind of guide you. Like for me, I never post anything political, and I want to so bad sometimes. I'm like sitting there like, okay, I've got a guideline, and I don't do it. Because it changes nobody's mind. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't help anything. So I just stay away from it. I also never take pictures of things that I've just purchased and put them for everybody to see to say, look what I got and you don't. <laughs> so take a look at that, would you? I don't do that. I, don't, I, I try my best not to ever say anything negative about somebody else, even if it's anonymous. You know, like 
dear jerk that just cut me off by the stoplight or dear rude lady in front of me at the supermarket. It's like, that, that's useless. It doesn't really mean anything. So, so I, I, that's one of my guidelines. I just don't do that. And those are some ways to be salt and light. And you may have different ones, but you need to have some and think, how can I be salt and light and use something in our culture for the good? Use it for the better. Use it to help further the message of Christ because it can be and should be. Uh, and another one that I have that it, with anything with passwords, my wife has unfiltered, complete, 100% access at all times to anything. And she never has to ask about a password. I mean, they're there. She can look anytime. And, and guys, you should do that. And if you're not doing that, you need to have that conversation on the way home. Ladies, you should do that too. There shouldn't be any of that secret. So those are just some guidelines that help us not to look just like the culture. Learn how to live in it without being seduced by it. And th throughout, when our girls were growing up, as they're growing up, they're 16 and 18 now, and, and we just had some rules in the house. Try not to be too strict and, and, and you know, make too many things hard. But, but I thought, okay, I'm, I'm not going to let my kids watch a PG-13 movie until they're 13. And the way I figured it was, well, if a group of people in Hollywood sat around a table and says, we don't think somebody under 13 should watch this. I'm a follower of Christ. What should my standard be? Well, it should at least be what theirs is. And we had some really interesting discussions at our house and sleepovers they couldn't go on. And, and, and they didn't like it a lot of the time, but it was too bad because I'm in charge and they had to do it. So there has to be something that sets us apart from our culture. And Jesus would say, be salt and light, live in your culture, but don't be seduced by it. Things continued to get tough for Daniel and his buddies as they did that. They served for decades in the king's court, but things didn't get any easier for them to continue to be salt and light. King Nebuchadnezzar decided that everybody needed to worship him through this idol. And so here's what happened in Daniel chapter 3. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of God that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown in to a blazing furnace. Now this is where Rack, Shack, and Benny come back into the picture. Because now they have a choice to make. Am I going to do, am I going to worship this idol or am I going to continue to live out my faith in the one true God? And where that led them was to realize that even when life gets tough, even when things are difficult, God is with me. So that's insight number two from exile. God is with me when life is tough. And you may be at a very difficult time in life, wondering if anybody cares, feeling very alone, feeling like you're in something you can't get out of because of a mistake you made or because of what somebody did to you or through no fault of your own or something has caused you to feel like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? Here's what these three men did when they were faced with what seemed like a, a choice that no one would have to make because it's like, if you don't worship this, you're going to die. So their choice is, am I going to worship this false idol or not? 
And as they made the hard decision to push forward and to push through, in spite of the king saying in Daniel 3, if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? And so they have a choice. What are we going to do? Are we going to look like everybody else and do that? Or are we going to continue to live our faith knowing that God is with us even in the middle of exile? Even when things are tough. And so they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods. A lot of us might be sitting waiting on God to do something and thinking, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. And if you make this happen, then I'm going to make that happen. They say, look, we are not going to serve this idol. God can save us. God can get me out of this. But even if he doesn't, we just want you to know we're not going to serve your gods. We're not going to look like everybody else. And it doesn't matter what the consequences are. It makes no difference. They understood that even in the middle of a difficult situation like that, God was with them, even if it didn't turn out the way they wanted. So they found themselves in this place they never wanted to be. So they're thrown into the furnace. The king's so mad at them, he jacks up the heat as high as he can get it, that it kills the people that throw the three guys into the furnace. And then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, looks into the furnace after he assumes they're burned up. And he says, I see four men, the three went in. He says, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. Then a very similar thing happened to Daniel. Years later, King Nebuchadnezzar is gone. A new king, King Darius, is on the scene. And Daniel is now 80 years old. And they put out this decree that you can't pray to anybody but King Darius. But Daniel was a man who had deep faith in God. He prayed every day. And like any 80-year-old, they just do, he's doing what he wanted. You know, I mean, 80-year-old people, they've lived long enough. They're like, I'm doing what I want. I'm going to eat what I want. I'm going to throw this thing in reverse when I want. And you just better get out of the way, right? <laughs> if you're 80, I apologize. I'm sorry. That's not true <laughs> of everybody. You know, some people, it's happened to me. I've, I've, I've experienced it. Those people get older, they just do what they want. So Daniel's like, I'm going to pray. You do whatever you want, little fella. I'm praying. And so they catch Daniel praying when he's not supposed to pray. And what they said was, if we catch you praying, we're going to throw you in the lion's den. Now, the king, the king, Darius, loved Daniel. He was like his right-hand man. He was his pal. He cared about him. And all the officials come and say, Daniel's praying. The king had no choice but to throw him into the lion's den. And I bet King Darius had a very sleepless night as he waited and he goes back to the lion's den the next morning 
And he yells down and says, Daniel, are you okay? Expecting to hear nothing back. And here's, here's what he heard that's recorded in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Daniel's three friends were in the fire. And the scripture says they were not alone. An angel was in there with them. Daniel was in the lion's den, which looked like an insurmountable obstacle in somebody's life. Like Everybody that goes in, nobody's ever come out. Because they keep the lions hungry. And so whatever goes in, then it gets eaten. But an angel showed up. The presence of God showed up and rescued him. He was not alone. And you may have shown up here today feeling very alone. You may have shown up in this room with a bunch of people, but you still, still feel alone. Wondering if anybody cares. Wondering if anybody would even notice if you didn't show up. Maybe you walk through every day feeling like, I'm alone. And this is the insight from exile that, that you have to get the most. That, it, that God is with us when we feel most alone. King David, many years before this, wrote the Psalms. And in Psalm 23, which is a psalm that you hear more often than not at a funeral, but it's not really written in that context, although it brings a lot of comfort. But in Psalm 23, David, who was feeling very alone, said this, Even though I walk through a dark valley, you are with me. Now, I have walked through dark valleys in my life. And you probably have too. If you live long enough, you will. And these words bring so much comfort. So if you feel alone, this is, memorize this verse. Write it down. Put it on your dashboard. Put it on your mirror so you can remember, even though I'm in a dark valley, you are with me. God never promises to prevent hard things from coming into our life, ever. He never said, follow me and nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. Never recorded in Scripture. Follow me and you'll get everything you want. Never recorded in Scripture. But he does say, if you follow me, I will always be with you. No matter what you've got going on, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how bad you've messed up, God says, I will be with you. Last insight from exile. We can see the results of them choosing not to look like the culture choosing them to recognize that God was with them even in the most difficult of times. The result for them was that being salt and light can help others get connected with God. Because in both instances, King Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius both came to believe in God because they observed him working through the lives of people who figured out how to live in the culture without being seduced by it. King Nebuchadnezzar was so moved by the fact that this angel rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, from now on, if anybody says anything bad against their God, I'm going to cut them into little pieces. He was, that's what, that was his decree. And then Darius, when he saw that Daniel came out of the lion's den unharmed, said this, I issue a decree in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Daniel. 
For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. For 65 years, Daniel and his friends lived in exile. They were eventually, we'll get into this part of the story later, they eventually get to go back home. They're free. They're free to go back to their country. But, but this story of Daniel is yet another story in the story of God that has this foreshadowing that something better is coming. And that something is Jesus Christ who said himself that he is God with us. So through Christ, we can have God with us in the fire. Through Christ, we can have God with us in the lion's den. And as we navigate through our culture and not seclude ourselves off from it, but choose to be salt and light in it, and we recognize that God is with us in the bad and the good all the time, He's always there with us, we will have influence we could never have otherwise if we recognize those first two. And people will get connected to God because of the way you navigate life. If you're a follower of Christ, you probably are so because somebody told you about him, because you looked at somebody else's life. For me, I remember looking at a bunch of other college kids thinking, all right, they're not perfect, but they're trying to live for Christ. And I watched and they actually were making a big effort to live for Christ and to enjoy the grace and forgiveness that he gives. And through them, I got to know who Jesus was. You are that for somebody. So as you go about your life and you start to feel like, well, this is just, I'm, I'm doing what I'm not created to do. Things aren't the way I want him to be in life. Remember that Jesus calls us to be salt and light, to know he's always with us. And he blesses that by allowing each of us to have influence over others. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story of how these four men chose to stand out from the culture, how they were rescued by you, and how you used their story to help connect other people to you. God, may you use all of our stories to help us let more people know that you are and that you have a son, Jesus, who wants to know each of us. And God, may you be with every person here who feels like they're in exile today. May they feel your presence. May they know that you're with them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.